Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they have to share about the ever-evolving landscape of financial services. Hello and welcome to In Conversation With. I'm Kimberly Dondo and today I'm joined by Jess Franks, Head of Investment Products at Octopus Investments. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Kimberly. Um, So can we get started by uh, getting a bit of a background to you and how you got started in uh, financial services? Yeah, um, so a long time ago now, I started training at Grant Thornton, um, where I worked in the tax department and I did accountancy exams, mm-hmm. then worked for a couple of banks. Um, and I've been at Octopus for almost 10 years now. Um, so life before Octopus feels like a very long time ago. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm sure you've seen a lot of uh, evolution within the industry. So Can you elaborate on the concept of democratization of private markets and why it's gaining traction among investors? And what are the potential benefits um, that this holds for financial advisors and their clients? Um, Yeah, I think think there was quite a shift during lockdown when people had more time um, to think about their investments and maybe spend more time thinking about where they're investing their money and and probably also a lot of people had a bit more money to invest, not being able to spend it on yeah. things, on having fun instead of savings, so holidays yeah. and the like. And I, we definitely noticed um, an increase in the amount of money during that time being mm-hmm. um, invested in smaller unlisted companies, either piecemeal, so investors selecting their own companies, or through EIF and venture capital trusts mm-hmm. using those tax-efficient vehicles to access um, unquoted, interesting early-stage companies with growth potential, obviously with the high risk that, that comes alongside those kinds of companies, but really sort of taking an interest and accessing investments that were quite exciting to have in your portfolio. I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's been part of it. And I think a benefit that can come with that, that investors are becoming increasingly alert to is having a real range of different assets within your portfolio. Um, So often EIS and venture capital trusts can open up access to the kinds of companies that otherwise you'd need to be kind of a family office type investor to be able to access those um, attractive early stage investments off sort of unlisted investments. So you need to be putting in quite big amounts of money by pooling money together with other investors within an EIS or a VCT structure. You can access those kinds of um, assets for your portfolio in a way that, yeah, otherwise might feel like it was only available to much, much wealthier um, customers and clients. 
Yeah. I mean, I definitely became more aware of investing during that time, but that just might be because I'm someone who's perpetually online. And um, I saw um, there was a big to do about um, certain people um, going for certain stocks. Um, I think uh, it was like the GameStop and AMC stuff. And that's where I started getting more interested and I'd already had, you know, like some stocks and shares, ISAs and stuff like that. Um, And I just kind of started looking more into that. And one of the companies that you collaborate with is actually one that I used, um, Crowdcube. Um, So um, you have collaborated with Crowdcube uh, to lower the minimum investment level to £500. So how does this initiative aim to lower barriers to entry for retail investors looking to participate in early stage companies? And what impact is this expected to have on private investment landscape? Yeah, we started working with Crowdcube this year. Um, They have panelled some of our venture capital trusts Mm-hmm. Venture capital trusts are um, a pooled investment, um, a, a listed company that uh, investors can invest in the shares of, and it takes investors' money, pulls it all together, and invests it into the shares of quite a large number of underlying small, early stage, and growing companies. They, mm-hmm. we've traditionally had relatively low minimum investment size for venture capital trusts. Um, normally, outside of our Crowdcube relationship, it's been about £3,000. Mm-hmm. And I think that because of those features of a VCT, they really lend themselves to what I think of as entry-level investing into the um, smaller private company space. Because yeah. even though you're investing relatively modest amounts of money, you are gaining access to a large portfolio, but through a single holding. So the admin around the investment is relatively light because you just own one share. Mm -hmm. You've got a a large amount of diversification underneath that company. Um, And we've been able to work with Crowdcube to reduce the minimum down a bit more, down to £500 for their customers. And that's because of the role that they are playing in the um, investment process. Mm-hmm. And I think it is really interesting and quite exciting because whilst £3,000 is quite a modest amount of money in the financial advice space, mm-hmm. I don't suppose too many advisors would be advising people on lower amounts than that. Yeah. Um, by Crowd Crowdcube's market um, is, is a broader market and can appeal to younger investors. So being able to give those customers the opportunity to access um, those kinds of investments maybe earlier than they might otherwise have been able to, I think is really interesting and a nice thing to have been able to open up. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what appealed to me because I remember a long time ago going to like uh, venture capital presentations and watching all of these amazing companies pitching themselves and wanting to get involved in something like that, but just not having the funds to do so. Um, So now it's quite um, cool to be able to look through, you know, all these new companies that have really interesting and innovative things that they're doing to help um, society in general. um, And knowing that not only am I, you know, um, expanding my portfolio, but I'm also doing some good in the world which is a nice feeling, um, but that's just me. <laughs> I do think they tend to be the kinds of companies that are very easy to engage with. Yeah. Um, so interesting new concepts. You can really 
look through to see how your money is helping quite a small company potentially grow to be something um, sort of that really might change the landscape in the sector that they're operating in. Obviously, a number of them won't be successful and will fail, but um, yeah. it's quite an exciting way to invest your money. And and I do think the feedback from our customers is that, yeah, those kinds of companies are very, in, they're, they're interesting, they're easy to start to really engage with. Um, and we do quite a lot with the portfolio companies that we invest into to bring their stories to life for our investors so that it's not just sort of pounds on a screen that you've invested mm-hmm. into a product, but you can actually really understand how your money's working. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I wonder if you could shed light on the measures discussed by the Chancellor to encourage pension funds to invest more in unlisted high growth companies. Yeah, I I think this is an area where um, Treasury and governments have been looking at for quite a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. So the sorts of investments we've been talking about, really quite early stage um, investments Mm -hmm. that qualify for tax relief and that attract money from retail investors. But the government's been really keen to try and open up kind of deep pockets of institutional investment such as funds managed by pension funds um, to normally to point at a slightly later stage than we've been talking about. So it's well acknowledged, I think, in the UK that once you get beyond where EIS and VCT can typically invest, there's a bit of a funding cliff Mm -hmm. where companies need more financing to be able to get them to a really much more established point where maybe they would list or be able to be sold to another company to really build themselves out to make themselves into a really big and significant entity. So there's that Mm -hmm. bit in the middle. um, And yeah, people have been looking at trying to open up different sources of funding for that for quite a long time. So I think the Mansion House um, initiative that Mm -hmm. the government has put into action this year is designed to help encourage and facilitate pension funds to be able to invest their money into UK unquoted um, and equities, which is just a bit of an underrepresentative, an underrepresented part for most pension funds. Um, they don't normally have much of their assets focused towards that area. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see, it's early days, it will be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah, yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, yeah. So regarding investment strategies, EIS seems to have garnered a substantial amount uh, compared to VCTs. Um, What opportunities do advisors potentially overlook by not emphasizing EIS in their portfolio recommendations? And how does the consumer duty play a role in broadening the scope of investment advice? Yeah, so EIS is it's EIS tax reliefs apply to individual companies that investors um, can subscribe money into receiving shares and receiving tax relief back. And those companies could be managed by a manager such as Octopus, who will mm-hmm. pull together a portfolio for an investor. But they could be standalone companies that um, investors come across through friends and family. So the amount of money that gets invested into EIS is a lot more significant every year than the amount that gets invested into VCTs. Mm -hmm. But our um, 
expectation is that the majority of that money is not money that a financial advisor has advised on um, because single company recommendations don't tend to lend themselves to the financial advice. While they normally be looking at recommending portfolios, um, products with a track record with a manager that you can assess. So a lot of the money that goes into EIS is money that investors have decided to invest of their own choice and in companies that they feel a strong connection to either because they know the people that own them and run them or because they found them themselves and they like that kind of company and they like the opportunity to invest into it and see what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, and I think VCTs, which I talked about before, so a more an automatically pooled investment across a number of underlying companies through one vehicle have been more familiar to financial advisors over the last seven or eight years um, Mm -hmm. and have become a more mainstream part of financial advice um, when an advisor might to take a very basic and typical situation if you're looking at your tax efficient investing for the year you look at your pension you look at your ISA and then you might also be in the habit of making VCT qualifying investments Um, Mm -hmm. I think EIS feels a bit different. It's uh, it's a more concentrated investment. It's an investment for the long term. It's an investment in um, a growth strategy, whereas a VCT can pay out an income stream. And um, I think consumer duty and also the change that we were talking about before around investors becoming more interested in where their money's going and actually enjoying being able to see through to the underlying companies that they're investing in, those two things have resulted in more advisors starting to look at EIS and advise on EIS. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a trend that we'll probably see continue. Um, and, and like you say, with consumer duty um, really coming in this year and mm-hmm. forcing everyone's attention onto what value our clients getting both from product and from advice, I think where advice is looking full spectrum across not only what does your portfolio look like but um how efficient are your investments from a tax perspective that's Mm -hmm. a real we see a lot of feedback from customers saying that's really valuable um aspect of the advice that they've received from their advisor that they wouldn't feel able to do themselves and that's really meaningful to them so i think again that um that overlay for advisors has encouraged people to look again at VCT and EIS and think about the value that it might present to certain customers. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about retail investments earlier. Um, and we've seen like a surge in retail investment in alternatives, but it's still a relatively small, um, it's still a relatively small fraction Um of overall portfolio. So what steps can advisors take to educate their clients about the potential benefits of including private market investments in their portfolios? Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm not a financial advisor, but we have mm-hmm. worked quite closely with um, with some experts in this field over the last year. And I think the obvious starting point is that the risk reward balance in a portfolio is made up of the all the constituent parts of a portfolio, which advisors are obviously very used to looking at and thinking about. Um, and we have seen clients 
adding um, smaller UK company investments to their portfolio, but trying to maintain a similar overall risk profile by changing some other aspects of their portfolio to sort of reduce the amount of risk elsewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting about that is if you only look at the companies on a sort of standalone investment basis, Mm-hmm. then obviously you're adding normally for most investors, if you're adding these kinds of companies to your portfolio, you'd be adding a bit more risk. So you could look to reduce some risk elsewhere. Um, but that ignores the benefit and mitigation of the tax relief that's attached to these kinds of investments. Mm-hmm. So actually you can end up in a situation where you feel like you've mitigated your risk even further than you than your previous portfolio looked like while still having access to some upside growth um, through having these kinds of unquoted investments. Mm. Um, we've seen other countries such as uh, France and Korea express interest in emulating the UK's approach to private market investment. So what key features of the UK model do you believe make it attractive to these nations? And what broader lessons can we draw from this global interest? Yeah, I think it's really interesting that other countries are looking to the UK as having adopted some methods to really boost um, capital pointed at early stage companies. So Mm -hmm. other countries, France are um, currently looking at potentially launching an EIS type um, structure and and Korea have been looking at a more of a VCT type structure. And and what those countries have seen is that by mobilising retail money and pointing Mm -hmm. it at these high growth areas, the UK has been able to create a really strong entrepreneurial environment. Um, EIS and VCT have been around for a long time now. And that support network for people that want to start a business and grow a business mm-hmm. does draw and attract people to the UK who, who probably have flexibility about where they might set up their business. So it's been a real success story for the UK, both for investors, but for the UK economy. Um, We are seen as a really good place to start and grow a business, which is, uh, yeah, something that those other countries are looking to emulate. And um, it's something I think we should be quite proud of. Yeah, yeah. Um, And there was a noticeable upswing in um, VCT investments in 2017, 2018. Could you shed light on um, the factors behind the surge? And in light of that, what should financial advisors keep in mind when suggesting VCTs to their clients? Yeah, I think um, over the last 10 years, there have been a few sort of jumping off points for VCTs where we've seen the market sort of take a leap and be able to raise more money in a sort of significantly more money than it did the year before. And the first time that happened was connected to pension investment limits. So as, as individuals were restricted in terms of how much they could put into their pensions tax efficiently each year and overall, that created some extra money that they needed to invest in a different way. Um, and some of that money came towards VCTs. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do find it doesn't tend to drop away. So once somebody likes VCTs and is used to investing in them, even if pension rules change such that they might be able to invest a bit more in their pension again, 
typically investors still like to maintain investing in into VCTs every year. And that's because mm-hmm. they're delivering different outcomes for them. They're a more near-term investment. Um, mm-hmm. Often investors do hold VCT shares for quite a long time. But if they do want to access that investment, it's much more accessible than a pension pot. Um, they do pay an income stream normally, and it's a tax-efficient income stream. That's attractive to investors, especially if you invest year on year. You create this portfolio of um, VCT investments that's paying you out a tax-free dividend every year. It can grow to be quite a substantial um cash flow number for you, a sort of um, yield coming mm-hmm. off VCTs, which is really attractive. So I think that was the, that's what caused the first real jump in VCT interest. Mm-hmm. And then like we were talking about earlier, I think the next one really was caused through the pandemic and through people having more time to think about what they're investing in and more money to invest. Um, and a lot of that money did come VCT way because I think because people, you know, were really interested in investing and accessing those early stage opportunities. Yeah. And I guess that's, uh, they're perfect uh, for fitting into and adding value to a diversified investment portfolio. They can be because often they are representing a part of the market that investors don't have exposure to through any other, um, any other holdings. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you envision the landscape of private market investments evolving in the UK over the next few years? I know that you're not necessarily uh, like uh, you can't see into the future or anything <laughs> like that. It would be amazing if you could. But um, uh, what do you expect? I think that I, I do think EIS and VCT have become very established investment vehicles. Um, I mean, it's our world, Octopus, think about these kinds of investments all day long. Um, But I think what's changed over the last few years is that advisors are thinking about this world much more consistently than they used to. And I think the combination of investors being much more interested in where their money's going, investors being engaged with those underlying investments that they're making, and consumer duty type thought processes leading um, investors, advisors, product providers to think about what value a customer's getting from the propositions that we're giving to them. All those things do marry up really nicely for these kinds of interesting tax efficient investments. And I think they've reached a point now where they are in the mainstream maybe for the first time, actually, collectively. And I think from there, there's a really interesting growth journey that they can, that this kind of investing can go on because once investors are really used to thinking about them, once they're used to making these kinds of investments every year, from that point, managers like Octopus can be in a position to really grow the amount of money that we invest in UK small companies every year. Mm -hmm. And I think... The other thing is, from a sort of political perspective, um, some things are sort of flavour of the month one year and then yeah. and then don't have support the next year. I think EIS and VCT buck the trend because they've been supported by every government for the last 25 and more years. Um, and both the current government and the Labour Party have EIS and VCT firmly 
um, rooted in their thoughts and hopes for the future of the UK should they be in power after the next election. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've been very clear about that. So I think there is a nice level of certainty around the fact that these reliefs will continue to exist um, that should enable managers, investors, advisors to take decisions now without any real concern that those reliefs might not still be around in a couple of years' time. I think that's really helpful. And I think it's really necessary, given the economic environment that we're in at the moment, being able to have that certainty of customer proposition. So certainty Mm -hmm. of being able to raise money from customers enables us to provide much better support to portfolio companies that are actually really well placed at the moment to go out and um, grow their businesses through these kind of choppy economic waters that we're in this yeah. is prime this is prime growth time for small businesses that are quite um agile and that see opportunity where bigger businesses are cutting back you know this is a great opportunity for them to go and make their market yeah and finally what role do you see advisors uh playing in shaping the investment preferences and strategies of retail investors in the context we just talked about well, advisors are so important because, well, obviously, if you've got an advisor, you're looking to them to yeah. uh, help you make the best investment decisions for you. Um, and I think being able to have access to and add unquoted investments into a portfolio is a really valuable area for advisors. Um, we did some research this year that showed that clients actually have a really high propensity to want to be exposed to higher risk investments. Mm-hmm. They find it interesting. Um, they like to have them added into their portfolio in the right way. And you know, every client will be different. And that's where advisors really add a lot of value to customers because they know that not every investor is the same. And sort of what might be right for me in terms of my VCT investments might not be right for somebody else. So I think that's really important when thinking about adding high risk investments to a portfolio, making sure that you've got the right advice so that you're creating the portfolio that's right for you is sort of even more important when you're thinking about higher risk offerings. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Jess. I really enjoyed this conversation and I learned a lot. No, thanks for thanks for the chat. Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.